Hi, I'm Clement Liu, and welcome to the third season of Just Sustainability. In this episode, we return to the conversation that I had with Ren Olive. In the last episode, we left off learning about how Ren conceptualized food access. This time, we're going to start with learning about what Ren thinks are some of the factors related to regional or local food systems that make it harder for folks to be able to get access to fresh, healthy, and culturally appropriate foods. What have struck you as being sort of the, the factors uh, or the just sort of the, the structural kind of, I don't know, layout of the, the food system that are the things that are, are driving the problems with food access, right? Like we've talked about poverty and like wages being low, but like, I'm just curious if there are other things that like, right. Have caught your eye as things that people should be paying more attention to. Um, so I, 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 I kind of exist in like two, um, like different realms. So like, mm-hmm. or I, when I'm having conversations about the food system, so are we, when we're having conversations about like global international, big egg food system or Mm -hmm. local foods, little egg um, food system. Um, And I think right now and and over the past decade of the work I've been doing, um, there's definitely a divide in the two that's slowly coming together. Um, So if you think about local food, and that's a lot of the work that I do is with local food and local food systems. Um, I, I, I don't really anymore like, I mean, obviously, I'm a, a consumer and an eater, and I go to the grocery store um, mm-hmm. and restaurants, and you know, so I'm I'm part. We're we're all part of the global food system. Sure. Yeah, um, we can't avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, but um, in terms of like my thought and time and effort at work and personal life, um, a lot of that is focused on the local food system, and I mm-hmm. think that um, in terms of if of. Uh, of access these two streams of the, of our food system. Um, I mean, in order to access local foods, it's predominantly direct to consumer. So you're going to mm-hmm. the farmer's market or you're signing up for a CSA or you're going mm-hmm. to the farm stand. Um, so there are direct relationships between farmers and um, Minnesotans and consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, that's the way it's been um, like forever. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, like thinking, you know, back to, kind of like back in the day and I, you know, food, we used to get local farm eggs at our store. And now our store only sells eggs that come from a, you know, larger plant and, you know, all, all the, the, the industrialization and globalization of the food <clears throat> system. Um, and that could be its own conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, in terms of like local food access, um, it's just having it available in grocery stores. Uh, the, the majority of people who, the way in which they access food, especially over the pandemic over the past couple of years when mm. uh, eating in person in restaurants, we've been told not to. Um, and and for our safety and our community safety, you know, you're supposed to spend as little time out in the community as possible. And so that mm-hmm. means making quick, quick runs to the grocery store or work or, or getting curbside pickup um, and uh, or online ordering. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times local food um Due to its seasonality too, but then also just availability, uh, is not present in in grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, I think, like fifteen, five to fifteen farms in the state that have what are called um, GAP certification, good agricultural practices, mm-hmm. uh, and we have a team at 
um, extension in extension who work with farmers to um, reach gap certification um, to sell into larger markets and mm-hmm. um, the, you know there's a it's a kind of a food safety it's a in-depth process it's intensive in terms of record keeping and uh, different compliance things that farmers need to do mm-hmm. and this is with produce specifically um, and and so there aren't the majority of farmers are not selling to grocery stores. Yeah. Uh, and and the work I do in extension, I focus uh, specifically in 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 Greater Minnesota with rural grocery stores. And the definition mm-hmm. we use for rural is popu- community populations less than two thousand five hundred. It aligns with the USDA definition. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've kind of talked about scaling that a little bit. Like what what do communities of five thousand or ten thousand or fifteen thousand look like in comparison to th- two thousand five hundred? Mm-hmm. And and kind of working with those stores. Um, and so I think. What I've seen in the work that I'm doing um, is that stores are interested in local foods, um, mm-hmm. and it's it, there's it's just there's a kind of a, a scale um, a, appropriateness, a responsible scaling um, that farmers, in order to sell into that market, <clears throat> need to go through. Yes, um, and and there's I mean there's a number of different things too that kind of prevent access to local foods in grocery stores. Um, economics is another one. So mm-hmm. cost of production on the farm side, um, in order to get profit that the farmer needs, um, the, the, you know, they, they need a certain price, but the store mm-hmm. is, our grocery stores are off operate operating on very slim margins. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so they they also need a certain price in order to make their store run and keep the lights on and keep their small number of employees paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, so I've been working, um, kind of the last couple years around that, that topic of, and those connections in our food system. Yeah. Um, so I can speak more to that than larger. I mean, what? we've seen with, with the pandemic major shortages, like everyone jokes about toilet paper, right? Um, yeah. when suddenly everyone was home and not in the office, are uh, the toilet paper producers and companies, um, had to s- switch over to selling more, um, you know, customers or uh, home household size to their customers and mm-hmm. people were panic buying. And, and we're, I mean, if you go to your, whatever store is near you, you can see the impacts of, of the supply chain, um, our ports, you know, lack of labor. I mean, there's a number of issues, um, lack of labor being one that's constantly talked about in all different sectors. Um, but, you know, uh, the ports in which we're getting product in globally uh, are jammed up and backlogged. Um, my mm-hmm. spouse, Grace, her dad is a, a lumper. And so he works with uh, different companies who do shipping and, and warehousing a product, mm-hmm. um, both state and nationally um, d- around the metro area. And then I think also like a little bit of Southeast Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're like transporting or transferring product from one shipping container to another and that kind of thing. And, um, and he's seen a big impact too of, of supply supply chain disruptions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I, 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 I can speak more to kind of the local food um, supply chain and like kind of what, um, what I'm seeing and what others are seeing in that arena more than global egg and food systems. Yeah, no, and, and that's actually exactly what I want to ask you about. Because, so, I mean, I guess the flag, my own sort of personal views on this and like sort of like the way that I've come to understand uh, right, the food systems is that it strikes me that a lot of the, the accessibility issues and like a lot of the sort of uh, difficulties when it comes to food systems, uh, at least within the United States, has gone from 
the way the economics of the food system has shifted from sort of smaller uh, operations to kind of the emphasis on like economies of scale, right? Like where uh, stores tend to be big box stores, where it's instead of like individual farmers working with uh, um, distributors that they tend to be licensed by sort of big companies that own the kind of like that are vertically integrated from yeah. like farm yeah. to like uh, yeah. producer or farm to processor to like warehouse. Um, yeah. And, and so uh, there just really isn't an existing, it seems to me if in many cases, it really just is not an existing uh, smaller scale uh, market system, right? Like there's not just that, yeah. not that, the economic framework isn't there, right? Like the infrastructure isn't there for like farmers who, who want to sell more directly or like who want to sell directly to even just like a, a warehouse, right? Like they mm-hmm. normally have to go through, right? They have to be licensed by somebody. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm curious, like it strikes me from, you know, some of the smaller farmers I know and some of the things, who, some of the folks are thinking about like how to uh, re- cover some of the more traditional uh i guess market systems the economies uh, associated with agriculture that that's the problem right like it's not so much that growing food on a small scale is harder or right like even that much more expensive it's also just finding where they can sell the food consistently and so yeah, yeah i would be curious like what you've seen in terms of like what are the challenges in doing that and then what are maybe some of the the sort of hopeful things where like, you know, things yeah. are coming into place where people are assembling things that, you know, might in the next few years uh, bring back some of the, the, those older kind of smaller, more local uh, right economies around food. Yeah. So um, the, in terms of like regulations and legality um, mm-hmm. there's what's called product of the farm. Um, and, and so that means that, that farmers and, and a lot of the work that I do in local food system is around fruit and vegetables, more so, mm-hmm. um, vegetable farmers, working with vegetable farmers. Um, and, and so they, they are able, I mean, it's completely legal for them to sell to a grocery store or a wholesaler. Um, mm-hmm. so long as that product has only been, um, I mean, it's, it's being sold as product of the farm. Um, mm-hmm. There's not extra steps that that farmer needs to take um, in terms of licensing and inspection. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, but on the wholesaler side, especially there are, and, and also in the retail, like there are expectations that I mentioned earlier of getting a gap certification, good agricultural practices. So that mm-hmm. is an industry standard. It's not a, um, you know, a, a regulatory standard. Okay. There is something called the Food Safety Modernization Act, FISMA, and the Produce Safety Rule. And I've um, been a part of the team, the, the Farm Food Safety Team, in extension, training farmers on how to comply and meet uh, the FISMA requirements with the mm-hmm. Produce Safety Rule. And there's a number of traceability, um, uh, food safety in, in terms of water and on uh, post-harvest production um, and, and cleanliness of workers. And like, there's a whole, there's a, it's an eight hour training that farmers go through. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, you know, that's a, it, it's a big component, but getting them um, kind of uh, um, the tools and resources that they need to then approach a wholesale market. At this point in our conversation, we had a bit of a technical glitch and I lost run for a second. When I got them back on the line, we shifted gears and began talking about some of their recent work supporting small-scale farmers in developing alternative markets for their goods. Here's that conversation. Wait, I yeah. think you got disconnected for a second. Uh, oh. 
yeah, I, I think could you go back like maybe like thirty seconds <laughs> what you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so um, one of the things I've been working on is with the on farm food safety team to get mm-hmm. farmers um, kind of uh, equipped with the resources and knowledge that they need to meet wholesale standards. Mm-hmm. And there's um, so a lot of the work that I do is grant funded. There's a specialty crop block grant through the Minnesota Department of Agriculture that we're going to be starting work on um, that's called Wholesale Readiness Training. And so okay. we're, our goal is to work with 20 different farmers uh, to do one-on-one intensive um, kind of meetings and and going through their processes with a, a team of extension folks and non-extension folks. The Minnesota Institute for Sustainable Agriculture, MISA, mm-hmm. is kind of leading the the team on that end um and so your you know your observation of you know the kind of some of the the barriers of local food entry into mainstream markets um mm-hmm. is is you know one of them it, it's it, it isn't a barrier <laughs> but right. it is a a kind of a, a necessary requirement is food safety um yes. so then i think another um thing that you mentioned too was quantity um yeah. Or, or, or just kind of thinking about access um, to local foods from a consumer perspective, um, having product that's reliable, um, that it meets certain standards, and that's available. Um, yeah. And that's something that retailers uh, work, you know, day in and day out in to make sure that the, that that consistency is there. And that's what American shoppers and Minnesotan shoppers have come to expect is that when I go to the grocery store, I know that I'll be able to get celery or I'll be able to get zucchini or mm-hmm. potatoes or onions of this certain size of this certain quality. Um, and so with farm production, then um, we're working with farmers um, to on the, the, pre-harvest um so with with the production side to implement practices that can set them up for success to meet those standards Mm um we natalie hoidel is our vegetable um uh extension educator for vegetable production and um so she's you know looking a lot at different pest management um production you know practices size operations that kind of thing on the farm Mm -hmm. um and, and so, yeah, anyway, we're, so we are like thinking about this issue and thinking about access and local food and extension. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I'm excited about and that there's so much opportunity. Um, and, and also one of the things that I am currently writing about uh, in my master's program, um, I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, kind of surrounded, like wholly surrounded by food systems right now, <laughs> uh, both full t- working full time with extension and RSDP. And then also um, I'm, I'm done with coursework now, but uh, writing and doing some researching. Yeah. Um, so thinking about like scale too is, is a part of the conversation. So to meet that consistency that consumers and retailers and wholesalers are wanting, yeah. um, there's there's a, sca- a certain size of, of farmer that has the of it, kind of the um, operations and, and the product availability to meet that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that thinking back over egg and like in in little egg circles um, and sustainable egg circles, the minute you start talking about scale or scaling mm-hmm. up, um, there's a lot of fear there and rightly so. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, thinking back to like the 80s, early 90s, um, that the the whole notion of big get big or get out farm crisis, mm-hmm. um, and that's more so like with commodity 
products like you know or typical corn soy etc um mm-hmm. but that's consolidation and um um scaling up a production uh, selling off the farm to the neighbor and the neighbor you know like it, it, and then the neighbor's now working for this larger company and all that kind of thing is really like you said vertically integrated uh, mm-hmm. agriculture um and so in in local food circles that I'm a part of um that's it's it's a really touchy topic to mm-hmm. and and some farmers are like no i i like my way of life um i'm good mm-hmm. at what i do i go to the farmers you know the, these five farmers markets um and and i'm good or i have a csa a you know 300 member csa and that provides enough for me and my family mm-hmm. um and that's that's fine like my in my position with extension and this in our team like we're not looking to disrupt that and we are mm-hmm. not looking to tell every farmer to get big or get out. Um, mm. we're, t- we're thinking more from a point of, of food access. And, and that's, you know, thinking about what's kind of what's next for local food in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, at, grocery stores and wholesale are two big um, areas. A lot of, a lot of work uh, is currently and has been done with schools, um, farm to school, and also, you know, working with hospitals and restaurants, kind of more institutional mm-hmm. level, um, and so I guess kind of the next that in that same kind of category, um, I, when you say wholesale too, uh, the understanding of wholesale is, is is kind of like different depending upon who you're talking about, talking to. Sure. Um, so there are like grocery wholesalers, so they operate huge warehouses and bring in product and get it to retail stores or other mm-hmm. other you know buyers. But then like that wholesale level is kind of also a, a way of of production, a way of producing food. Um, mm-hmm. And so that could be selling to restaurants or hospitals or things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to clarify that. Um, but let's see, where was I? I kind of lost my, my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could prompt you with a question. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a very, I think it was really terrific that you kind of spelled that out for folks. Cause I don't, I think a lot of folks don't recognize even folks who think about food systems don't recognize that like, right, those are sort of the, the issues and the way that things are laid out and the distinctions that folks are making um i guess a question i could ask you is you mentioned something uh real briefly about how there are farmers who right have found the way to do to make it work as a, a smaller operator as like right like kind of direct to uh to uh consumer sales right like people mm-hmm. who are doing uh, farm stands uh farmers markets and CSAs. Um, I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you was like, I, I think that's an aspiration for a lot of uh, folks that I know who are, who want to have smaller operations who don't want to be part of sort of the, the, the sort of the commercial ag system um, or the industrial ag system, I should say, mm-hmm. I guess they all are trying to engage in some sort of commerce, but <laughs> they, they would like to right have kind of a smaller operation where they can sell more directly or like sell to like a few local, uh, you know, to restaurants or to like mm-hmm. you know, a few local like uh, uh, grocery stores, but I think that's really difficult, right? Like, I I think uh, because the the vast majority of the system is built for around those sort of big kind of food processors and like the big sort of supermarket chains, um, it takes a lot more thought and work uh, and effort and hours and labor for a, a farmer mm-hmm. to find those sort of alternate alternative markets. I'm just curious, like what are some of the things you're seeing in developments of providing like kind of support for farmers doing that, or just, you know, like what, what are folks doing? What are farmers doing that are like interesting as like kind of creating their own alternatives to like the, the existing, uh, 
or the, the right, like the conventional mm-hmm. uh, system. Yeah. So, so kind of diversification of market outlets is often comes up when thinking about um, the kind of the sustainable little egg um, mm-hmm. or sustainable egg. Um, and that's something that Ryan Pesh, he's a extension educator in community vitality, community economics, who I actually worked with as an intern, <laughs> as, as a student in Morris, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and now yeah. I work with him weekly on, on a larger project, um, a, we're calling the Backhaul Project, Farm to Grocery to Wholesale. Um, yeah. And so well, Ryan has done quite a bit of um, analysis in terms of the economic side Um of, of farmer market outlets by analyzing um, farmer profit and, and costs of production um, and, and these different market outlet options. So mm-hmm. like the farm stand being, you know, super low labor and time input um, for a high, higher profit margin. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas like oftentimes see it, or oftentimes farmers markets require sitting for seven, six, seven, eight hours um, and, and, uh, your sales, um, during that time. And once you factor in travel and other labor expenses, um, that can kind of, that lessens the profit for the farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when you start to combine these different streams together, so like maybe you have, you have a couple restaurants you also sell to and you sell squash to the school in the fall. And, um, and, the, you know, as a farmer, you're continuing on with the CSA and, and you, you know, you have your, your teenage kids go show up at the farmer's market. Um, so there are like that kind of a, that, uh, that diversified approach. Um, and I think we see that too in different areas of sustainability, um, mm-hmm. that when you put all of, all of your resources into to one bucket if something in that bucket leaks then you're leaking all your everything right like all those all those resources are are like so for example if if you're selling only to um to restaurants and we saw this with farmers that the majority of their accounts were restaurants and when the pandemic first was starting off and restaurants were canceling contracts and um and closing down those farmers um that relied primarily on those accounts were, were really struggling. And mm-hmm. um, there's a number of different organizations around the state that stepped up and, and tried to find alternative um, outlets for that farm product. Um, and, and so anyway, so thinking about working with farmers and resources available to them um, that the, 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 the team in extension that I'm working with is, um, is one that we hope to make resources available statewide. Um, there, a lot of work is being done um, with the Sustainable Farming Association, SFA. Um, they have mm-hmm. chapters around the state. They're a longtime partner of RSDP and, and Extension um, and, and getting resources out to farmers. The Land Stewardship Project, um, they've done quite a bit of work with beginning farmers in particular mm-hmm. and um, land access and also equity and diversity type work. Um, and then we partner with them on, a, on some things, um, renewing the countryside. So like, there's a whole bunch of these really cool organizations, um, MISA, the Minnesota Institute for Sustainable Egg, um, the, the, that like, you know, we kind of all have their niche focus, but then we, we are able to like come together on different projects. Um, and, and, and ultimately, you know, our, our goal is to support a sustainable local food system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think too, that, um, there's, there's been discussion about like, um, 
the aggregation. Um, there's a, a bunch of cool aggregation projects or one main aggregation project that's going on with farmers market and creating farmers markets, the Minnesota farmers market association, um, Kathy mm-hmm. Zeman, I work, um, have worked in and been part of meetings and, and I, I just so admire her passion, um, that they're working on aggregating product at farmers markets or with farmers who, who are part of that yeah. network, um, and to get that product, um, to other buyers, I think in in local foods conversations, um, you know, we're working with farms who are happy to stay small and have their way of life, and and we want to value and respect that. Um, mm-hmm. th- then that that topic of aggregation comes up, and and over the past ten years, a lot of that topic has then you know, how do we solve that? If, you know, we have a bunch of little farms, like how do they all come Mm -hmm. together? Can they form a cooperative in, in kind of the local foods world? People love cooperatives, but it all, (laughs) there's no more examples where it doesn't always work out. Um, I, I went, when I was at Morris, I worked uh, with Palm de Terre food co-op and that was kind of my first view into the cooperative world and uh, you know, served on the board. I was president of the board and, and Mm -hmm. I, I, I value co-ops and I think that, you know, the, that they're awesome. (laughs) Um, But in terms of a solution for um, aggregation and little egg, um, sustainable egg, uh, I, I'm not sure if that's the, the go-to solution. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, like I mentioned over the past 10 years, there's been lots of, lots of conversations. So what about food hubs? Um, And, and you may, you know, there's food hubs that have popped up um, and that have unfortunately, you know, really like, I just my heart hurts for these food hubs that and the people behind them that put so much yeah. time and effort and into like creating these beautiful spaces to be able to take in product to mix the product. There's licensing that goes behind that, um, food yeah. safety pieces and equipment and and all that kind of stuff, um, and and lots of grant dollars, uh, both private, state, you know, different types of funding, and mm-hmm. and a number of those food hubs are are no longer in operation. Um, I, there's, you know, I think like three larger food hubs in the state, um, that are, are successful in that they, again, are diversified in their operations. They're doing Mm -hmm. educational classes. They're doing, um, food processing. So thinking about, um, how farmers and entrepreneurs can connect and local foods can be made into jams and jellies and cool different mixes of, of product and, 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 um, processed product. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, having makers markets and things like that. Um, but I, I, yeah, so I, I, um, I get, I, I like frequently lose trains of thought because new ideas <laughs> are continually popping into my head. <laughs> oh no, that's fair. I mean, you know, uh, I think the best conversations are ones that are just sort of like the right, they're filled with tangents and like kind of explore and are <laughs> organic. So, you know, if it's, if the next thing you want to say is like unrelated to the previous thing you said, uh, that's <laughs> fine. I'm I'm sure that, that I've asked you like disjointed, disconnected questions. So that's fair. <laughs> but yeah. So I, and like thinking about kind of the, what is the, um, in terms of market access, going back to the, my comment about, diversification um Mm -hmm. and seeing that in sustainability um i i i think that that's something that um that we we need more of in our food systems that when we have um you know vertical integration and and corporate ownership from field to fork uh we're missing that diversification and that's that that kind of um shield that weathers our food system when disruptions mm-hmm. occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 
you know, local food systems, um, that, that there's kind of a, I don't know, like there's the, the approach to disrupt and and scrap the whole system (laughs) and then the approach to like wiggle in and make room and kind of convert and, um, and, 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 uh, you know, take the existing resources that have been built and adapt them to in a more sustainable way. Um, I kind of, I, I bounce between the two. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, this all sucks. You know, everything, our, <laughs> the whole system is, is corrupted and uh, you know, everything, the world's ending. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm only partially joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I feel the same way. Right. Sometimes it's like, Oh, you know, let's co-op some of the existing things. Cause you know, I don't think we'd be able to just burn to the ground and start again, but sometimes it, the burning things to the ground is really appealing. Yeah. Well, and if you, and you're going back to like, ana- you know, analogies in, in nature, like wildfires and burning of prairie grass. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you need some of that to, to make way and to, and for that restorative process. Um, so yeah. And, but then, you know, like we've, we already have all these resources and, you know, these, people doing their thing and their jobs and companies mm-hmm. and, and, and et cetera, like that we, in the work that I'm doing, we're partnering with, we're working with larger wholesalers and, and, and like that didn't, they didn't just get to where they are without, with, from nowhere. Like it didn't just right. suddenly become, you know, this large distributor wholesaler. <laughs> right. Right. Um, they became that way because it worked for some reason and in yeah, some context. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and 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 how do we how do we take those things that work and and the things that don't and um and and kind of bend and recreate and and remodel um put you know add some new fabric in there <laughs> make some pleats you know a few new stitches yeah. here and there ripping stitches out um it, going back to the quilting <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, like last week I had a conversation, um, a, t- a team that I, I am working as a project manager with on the Farm to Rural Grocery to Wholesale project. We met with a large wholesaler and and got some insight from them. And mm-hmm. they were um, super interested in the work that we're doing. And the goal of that project is to increase market access for small, medium-sized farmers to wholesale markets um, by mm-hmm. way of, of rural grocery stores. So connecting farmers to the store that's nearest to them, um, both with a, hopefully with like a buying relationship and mm-hmm. then, and then using that store's back room or dock. Um, a lot of the small stores don't really have docks. Uh, they operate out of doors, <laughs> like small, <laughs> small regular doors. Um, they don't have shipping docks. Um, but they get, they get deliveries from wholesalers, you know, one, two, three times a week. And yes. those wholesalers have trucks that that often return back to the wholesale kind of warehouse campus empty. Mm-hmm. So thinking about food miles, which is kind of a, a outdated way to approach food system sustainability um, in in an argument for local foods because there are so many efficiencies that can happen mm-hmm. with with large food production uh, and and food miles, but um, it still is a, a source of of you know carbon emissions and mm-hmm. um, and and in that trucks already going on that route anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So why why not fill it up? Um, we're learning that uh, this larger wholesaler we we spoke with um, does do some backhauling, but they don't oh, work. Cool. With, yeah, it is really cool. So like the a, a lot of like dairy, for example, they'll stop at a, a milk plant, you know, uh, and 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 
pick up pallets of milk and then bring mm-hmm. that back to the wholesale uh, campus after they've made their their grocery store deliveries to their their clients, their mm-hmm. customers. Um, but they they haven't they haven't approached it in the way that we are kind of um, researching and and dreaming up really. Um, mm-hmm. And they also haven't worked with smaller producers. A lot of the producers that they work with. Like I mentioned, there's, you know, I think like 15 large farms in -hmm. Minnesota who um, who are selling to wholesalers. And that's kind of their shining local food example. And retailers say, yes, we offer local food, Um, but that's more (laughs) of that's that's not the that's not the norm of the food on their shelves. Like that's not the majority. Um, and, And so I think, you know, back diversification and having more farms and 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 selling into wholesale and figuring out what the pain points are to overcome in order to get them into our grocery stores um, is something that I, you know, continually am, am working on <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and folks in extension and partners um, are also talking about. No, that's really cool. Uh, I mean, those things are all striking me as super exciting, right? Like I, I, I feel like there's sort of a renaissance uh, in like kind of local food uh, in Minnesota right now. Like it's a really, it strikes me as a really cool place to be for folks that are interested in like, uh, thinking about alternatives to the conventional food system. Absolutely. Um, one of the, the newer things that I'm a part of is a specialty crop working group. And and in technical terms, specialty crop means anything that's not commodity, which is corn, soy, mm-hmm. beans, you know, et cetera. Um, so they call it a specialty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and when I, you know, the, the, the majority of, of whole foods that we eat are, are um, I mean, it's, it's it's the majority of the like I don't know I it's just I, I have an issue with calling it specialty crops but right 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 because well, yeah we're not we're not eating field corn and soybeans yeah right day, like right? I mean even if yeah. most of our foods contain some corn <laughs> or soybeans um yeah yeah um so this this specialty crop working group is being convened by the the Minnesota Farmers Union and uh it's i mean we had we had one meeting so far so it's like a, a newer group um mm-hmm. and it's kind of modeled after a, a different working group the meat working group that uh, a number of different organizations have also been a part of and really really making way both um on the landscape and at the mm-hmm. capital uh to push for more meat processing opportunities for farmers um mm-hmm. and looking at kind of meat production in Minnesota and what the needs are um, and so, you know, it's not a, it's not a place where we go and just kind of talk about ideas, but I mean, yeah, we do talk about ideas, but we, it's also, it's meant to be like action oriented. And that's mm-hmm. when I start to get excited. Um, so, you know, very much into the, who's doing what, how do we support them? What needs to be done on the ground? Um, yeah. you know, what are, what needs are we hearing and how do we, how do we meet those needs with different resources our organizations have? Um, yeah. And uh, so it's a number of organizations that are part of this um, and also farmers. Um, I think the work that we do in the partnerships and I guess we kind of just like I like completely skipped over explaining what like the the foundation of the work that I do like is (laughs) Um, with 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 RSDP. Um, So partnerships is part of. Of, of this working group, but it's also right. like embedded in all of the work that I'm engaged in, in my 
job with RSDP and extension. Um, so, uh, so maybe I'll, I'll take like just a little tangent and uh, sure. uh, a, a side road and quick explain what RSDP is. Um, so the University of Minnesota has extension. Um, there are extension educators and staff and faculty in, I think, almost every county in the state. I think there's like two counties. Don't quote me on that. That, yeah, that don't sounds have right. educators in those counties. Um, and the idea is that extension is um, the arm of the university um, being a land grant institution that is available to to the communities, to people, and, mm-hmm. and a way to access resource and knowledge um, from at a community level versus in a classroom. Um, that's not to say work in extension isn't done in classrooms too, but um, you know, really trying to to meet the me- needs of Minnesota. Um, in, in all different types of topics, everything from, you may be familiar with 4-H, um, kind of youth programming, family programming, community vitality and economics, um, health and nutrition is a big part of extension. Um, there's like, I don't know, there's like 800 extension employees and, 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 and so many cool things going on that I like can't, I don't, I don't even know. I'm just one part <laughs> of this big extension. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, and, and also, like I mentioned, so land-grant institution, um, there's a lot of, of work, too, going on in extension around equity, uh, diversity, inclusion, um, especially as it when it comes to race. Um, and, uh-huh. and, and as an institution and a university, um, you know, the, the work that we're able to do in the, in, with a sense of place is on land that, w- that was – Grabbed. So a lot of mm. you may like in terms of land grant university, you also may have heard of land grab university. Um, and, <laughs> and there's a lot of, um, of pain and, and, yeah. and suffering that, that, that the university, I mean, it, it, again, that could be another uh, podcast, but <laughs> uh, it needs to be acknowledged that yeah. the work we're doing as part of this institution um, has these roots um, in, in mm. terms of taking land. Um, and, and, so think, and also yeah. should be informed by right the sort of duties that are incurred by do right by that history yeah yes absolutely um i was a part of a, a racial equity diversity and inclusion task force with extension um with there are about 12 of us um on this task force that the dean appointed trying mm-hmm. to figure out um kind of what uh, doing an assessment in extension where is extension at in in terms of identi- different identities and they an employee mostly internal employee um you know sense of of belonging and um treatment and um you know like what like the 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 surveying that we did uh really re- you know there, there's more coming out but there's a lot of a lot of work to be done um, I think mm-hmm. that we've seen, you know, uh, s- s- this kind of stemmed from the murder of George Floyd, um, that a-, a lot of different companies and businesses and, and universities are like, how do we look within ourselves um, to what practices do we need to change to become mm-hmm. um, more equitable and, and justice oriented? And mm-hmm. so I am proud of Extension and the work that we've done um, mm-hmm. in that area, but there's more work to do. <laughs> Uh, so, so the so the partnerships. So RSDP, um, they we are small but mighty. We operate in five different regions around the state. We have executive directors in each of those regions, and mm-hmm. then those executive directors respond to both boards of directors and work groups. Mm-hmm. The work groups focus on the topics of clean energy, natural resources, resilient communities, um, 
uh, sustainable egg and food systems. And the, the sustainable egg and food systems is, is my topic, um, of the, the work that, that, I do and um, engage in is informed by those work groups. The work groups are made up of um, folks within that community um, or within that region in different mm-hmm. communities. Uh, the, you know, they might be business, small business owners or, um, you know, farmers or <laughs> uh, working for the department of transportation. Uh, but then there's also like one third of um, the, the boards are universe. Some, somehow people you, that are connected to the university. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's this cool, like this neat um, dynamic uh, way to see what the challenges are around the state and in different regions with people who are from and, and experiencing those those um, challenges in, in those regions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really um, something that RSDP, like we pride ourselves on is, is having those connections and those partnerships. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so the, the regions have a call for proposals and, and this is the main work of RSDP. So those proposals then provide, um, you know, people say like, I, I identify this issue and um, here are some things I think that we need to work on and, and some resources that I think might be needed to help. And then our executive mm-hmm. directors, work groups and boards look at those proposals and assign or identify um, resources, kind of reach in. Uh, to the university to see how to meet those those proposed needs and and mm-hmm. solutions that the community, um, you know, representative or group or or whatnot had had submitted, mm-hmm. um, and so I like, like that model um, and 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 the way in which RSDP works I think is really unique and not mm-hmm. um, seen in at different universities and institutions of similar sizes. No, um, I actually think the RSDPs are one of the best things that the University of Minnesota does. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. Thank you for saying that. Uh, I actually, uh, you know, wh- thinking back to who is Ren Olive, who am I, um, figuring out who, you know, what path I was taking as a student, I was exposed to RSDP and extension. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned I interned with Ryan Pesh, and that was part of a, uh internship with David Flugel, and he's mm-hmm. retired now, but he was the executive director in the Southwest region mm-hmm. for the regional sustainable development partnerships. And so I kind of got this cool, you know, w- look into what RSDP does. And, and I was like, wow, like that's a job opportunity. And here we are, you know, 10 years later and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm working with the partnerships. Uh, so the, you know, the pathways for students, they are out there. Yeah. Um, whether, you know, you, you know that this is a kind of, Thing you can do or not yeah um but yeah so that's the partnership um the the work i do statewide there's three of us on the statewide sustainable egg and food systems team um and and we identify those projects across regions and elevate them and find grant dollars and teams around the state to work on those those issues as always i ended the conversation with ren by asking them whether there was anything they want to speak about that i hadn't gotten to they took that opportunity to talk about queerness and how queerness relates to sustainability. Here's that conversation. Uh, I like to end by just sort of like turning over the the topic and just saying, you know, what, what's something that you'd like to talk about or you think we need to talk about that I haven't asked you about? So one of the things that I've, uh, like I mentioned as being a queer person mm-hmm. um, and, and listening to some of your other podcasts like this, the topic of queerness has come up a couple of times mm-hmm. and I like, I just love that. Um, I, for me, um, in, in 
in my position with extension, you know, and, and the work that I do, um, I'm constantly thinking about identity mm-hmm. and, um, and, and intersectional ex- intersectionality of identity and how that it, 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 it interacts with and, um, influences how we show up in the world mm-hmm. and in the work that we're doing. Um, one of my favorite spaces to be in is with other queer people, <laughs> um, and, and kind of my neighborhood and, 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 um, creating intentional community, you know, thinking back to Morris, yeah. um, and, and I, so the neighborhood that I live in now, there's like six houses within like a four block radius that are all queer and like we get together. And oh, that's cool. Like that. Um, yeah. But also thinking about how that I approach my work, uh, with extension, you know, being a queer person, um, there's a, a, a whole like growing group, um, of, of queer farmers, like that are, are networking and coming together. Yeah. Um, and, and I was a part of, um, the queer farmer convergence, not this past year, but when we had it, um, before that, before the pandemic, um, and, and, and really like seeing how, um, queer farmers are showing up in rural spaces, especially, um, and, and how I can, like, what can I do in, in, with the skill set I have and the resources I have available to me to support the, the, specifically those farmers, Mm -hmm. um, that that you know thinking about sustainable egg and and being queer i think that there are some strong strong parallels you know f- figuring out how to exist within a system um where your you are not the your identity is not the norm or yeah. not accepted um where it's like thinking to sustainable agriculture and, and practices that are are like becoming more of the norm but aren't mm-hmm. um and and like trying to like we think of like 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 existing in the margins, right? Like yeah. um, figuring out how to make things work um, when when you don't. All of the grant funding and the the federal dollars uh, are going to to big egg, are going to commodity crop growers. Yeah. Um, and and um, yeah, so like that queer identity and and working with queer farmers is something that I've really enjoyed and and want to continue doing more of. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, something that I don't, I didn't think, I don't think we've brought up in our no. conversation this far. Well, yeah, uh, and the thing is, right? Like, I've always thought, like, that, uh, right? When you think about sustainability, queerness, and queer theory, right? Like, are things that are just sort of natural things to think about because they are sort of focused on the same kind of idea, as you pointed out, right? Like that. Uh, a lot of it is thinking about how do you make space to to change what's the received norm, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's these assumptions about the way the world should work. Those assumptions are bad ones. <laughs> and like, right, like often you can't see that unless you're sort of an outside position. Right. So like, I mean, right. Like it's the, the whole sort of right, like queer theorists are always making that argument. And I think sustainability mm-hmm. theorists are making those making parallel arguments. And yeah, I, I yes. think those are conversations that should happen together. And I mean, and if you think about sustainability, right, like, essentially to me sustainability is thinking about like what does it mean to like have the right like i guess i right so I, my background's in philosophy so i tend to like think mm, in, yep. as a philosopher so like you know like what's the good polis right like if you look at like the like ancient greeks right they're always talking about like mm-hmm. what's the good polis now i think sustainability is just a modern iteration of that conversation right like how do we <laughs> how do we have a, a better polity and a better polity is one that is equitable one that like right mm-hmm. like you know that's not cishet normative that's not sexist mm-hmm. and right yeah yeah and yeah and that is just thinking about like queerness and like spaces for queerness in in 
in like right in our society or just you know how do our society because everywhere show up or like be queer friendly mm-hmm. yeah yes yes so tell me about the 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 farmers convergence i wasn't aware of this yeah um so it was hosted um in iowa humble hands farm mm-hmm. or humble hands harvest farm um that the hannah um is the the farmer that kind of uh you know, got things going. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack is a, uh, was a, I think done with graduate studies, but studying um, queer farmers for like a sociology program, I think at UW Madison. Okay. And so like they made this connection at Moses, the Midwest um, organic sustainable, let's see, MOS education services. Yeah. Um, they host a conference every year um, on sustainable egg and organic egg. And um there's been a growing number of, of queer farmers. I've been to Moses a few times and like, there were like 10 people coming together that were identified. Like they have identification group kind of like gatherings of farmers Mm -hmm. and, and um, it was like queers in the field. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it grew And like the next year there were like 30 people that were part of this, um, this, you know, kind of a networking evening. Yeah. Um, and so those those types of conversations of like how do we bring farmers together to share experience and to be in community um, around the topic of queerness um, because a, a lot of time and, and also um, not just queerness but also like f- lifting up farmers who are BIPOC too mm-hmm. um, and, and also maybe queer BIPOC farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the queer farmer convergence happened um, at Decorah, Iowa, and. Um, I, I volunteered some of my skill set to um, the organizing team and uh, kind of coordinating um, different things with that team and the farmers attending. This past year, I, I wasn't able to help out as much, um, but there was one um, this past summer or late summer, fall-ish. Um, but it was, I don't know, it was just like, I've never been in a space where the majority of people use they, them pronouns. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I I like as as someone who uses they them pronouns like that's just I like I I I I approach the world with the expectation that that's that's you know everyone is not used to using those pronouns or whatever. There's yeah. an educational component I need to do or I need to explain myself or launch into identity and gender and anyway. So it, uh, I you know there's no there was no conversation of how to use they them in a sentence mm-hmm. and. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to be non-binary what there's more than two genders what? um you know, the, the, it was just yeah yeah no i i just had like a random thought like this this is more yeah. just like me sort of like expressing my own sort of personal biases and views it strikes me like i, I you know it must be the case right like that there are many more sort of non-binary folks right like when i think about like just sort of like you know, kind of like binaries and dualisms when it comes to people that you almost never stand, right? Like, you know, like, 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 so, like, maybe, like, right, like, to parallel with like uh, orientation, right? Like, I, I suspect there's many more bi people than like would identify as bi just because, right? Like, we've had this real, this view that, like, you know, there's this binary of gay and straight, uh, mm-hmm. and when I, I really think, it, come on, like, you know, everyone, this, I don't believe people who say that they're never attracted to someone of a particular gender because there's someone attractive of that gender to you right? <laughs> like you know like 
yeah, you, you might not identify that way, but you, come on, like it, there's, right. there's there's got times where you're just a little confused. Everybody, like right, like you know, like there's there's moments where you say, like, "Huh, I didn't think I was attracted right? to this gender, but I am." <laughs> At least in this instance, and right, like you know, like when people are just like, "Oh, like right, like identify purely as like mask or femme," I'm just like, "Yeah, I mean, I can believe mostly." But like, there there are times when you're just like, hmm, this binary doesn't apply to me right now, right? And I think like I wish as a society we made space for people to like grasp onto that and be like proud of that, like yeah. you know that I don't know, like so being at this queer farmer convergence in a space where it like that was that was the it was like expected that um you know you have a multitude of 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 identities that all come together and create who you are. And we're mm-hmm. going to lift up all of them mm-hmm. um, that I feel like when we show up in, in there's like so many like assumptions made in, in, in the, in the non queer farmer convergence uh, spaces mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and it, like these expectations that, that you follow this binary, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, th- I wish that there was like more room for people to play with gender and sexuality and, and that be like expected. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, so I do, this is another tangent. Sure, um, that's fair. I, I thinking like of, of the future generations and how our, our world and society um, is changing. Uh, I mean, even just in my own short life so far, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I first came out, I wasn't sure if I'd ever be able to get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here I am married mm-hmm. <laughs> as a queer person. Um, and, and, and there we, so, so thinking about youth and like the, the kind of future, um, my spouse has a younger cousin who, um, we, we found out through the grapevine. Um, so she, uh, you know, identifies with she, her pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was dating someone who also identified, um, as a woman using she, she, her pronouns. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and Grace and I are like, what? Like, oh, that's so exciting. We, you know, like, <laughs> let's, let's have a party. And, and, and I guess like <laughs> Grace's mom was like, yeah, apparently, um, her cousin, Grace's cousin, my spouse's cousin said yeah. that to her mom was like, well, straight people don't have to come out. So I don't, I don't understand why I have to come out. Yeah. Like, and then I was like, Oh, that's so cool. Like, yeah, that it's, you know, like, not, I don't know, just rethinking about how we, um, you know, share our identity and what the norm is. Yeah. And, well, I mean, and I think this is why I really love the word queer, right? Cause it just highlights the fact that like, is it really queer? <laughs> like it's like you know. I mean, I, I really do think kind of queer should be sort of the baseline. That's that's what <laughs> I think is normal. We we're suppressing it. Yeah. Right. You gotta let it let it yeah. let it loose. Yeah. Be, don't don't be so concerned about like you know how you want to express or how you want to identify or like who you know. I mean, I, you know, I, I think right. Some of this, I'm saying this from definitely a position of privilege, where you know, I ha- I can sort of, yeah, do this yes, without yes. like without pushback, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, exactly. But yep. you know, so I recognize that. But I just wish that everyone could be in the same position where I am, where like you know, they had the freedom yes. to to yes. ex- you know, yes. <laughs> um. You know, I think this is a terrific place to finish up. Like, I think we, we finished on sort of a high point and a conversation that could have been real sad when we we're talking about, like, <laughs> access and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so thank you for being on the show. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I, I appreciate uh, and I, I look forward to listening to 
tuning in in, in more future episodes. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Just Sustainability. During this episode, Ren Alus taught us about the factors affecting food accessibility in rural Minnesota and some examples of exciting work to develop alternative markets for farmers. They also invite us to think a little bit about the relationship between queerness, queer theory, and sustainability. In the next episode of Just Sustainability, it'll be my honor to introduce you all to Mark Peddleti, who's a musician, musicologist, a professor of communication studies, one of the founders of Ecosong.net, and a fellow of the Institute in the Environment. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.